Anchor is a Spotify-owned company that makes it easy for people to get into podcasts. It's an all-in-one, totally free platform where you can record a podcast, host it, distribute it, measure your performance analytics, and find sponsors. It all works in your web browser or through Anchor's mobile app. Give Anchor a try for free at anchor.fm slash mythsandlegends. That's anchor.fm slash mythsandlegends. This week on Myths and Legends, it's the first half of an Estonian epic where you'll learn that the only thing more dangerous than fighting a legendary hero might just be partying with a legendary hero. The creature this time is why you actually want to give a piggyback ride to that stranger that jumps on your back in the forest at night. This is Myths and Legends, episode 150A, King Me. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This story comes from the Kalevipuek, the national epic of Estonia, a country in northern Europe in the Baltic Sea. It's just south of Finland. It was written by Frederick Reinhold Kruzwald in 1853. And even though this is just one work by one author, it's believed that he deeply investigated Estonian folklore and crafted a narrative that not only includes a ton of stories about his home country, but works as a complete narrative in its own right. The story itself is much older and is believed to come from an oral tradition of ancient Estonia, with the earliest known reference to it coming from a 6th century Anglo-Saxon poem. Basically, we're in a similar but different world from all the Viking legends of the Northwest and the Finnish legends we talked about earlier this year. In fact, I guess there's a debate going on about whether the chief god of Estonian mythology, Tara, is a local version of Thor. All right, we'll jump right into the story with a giant riding like Gandalf on the back of a giant eagle. But unlike Gandalf, he wasn't looking for hobbits. He was looking for love. The giant, Kalev, was riding on the back of his giant eagle. Because when you have a giant eagle, why would you use anything else to go anywhere ever? Kalev had grown up in your typical giant homeland in the far north, within the sacred oak forests of Tara, when it came time for the three boys to leave home. So they decided they wanted to take wives among the daughters of men. Remember that this is a myth, so take could mean a lot of different things. But for the sake of this show, let's pretend it means that they're going to try to just woo some daughters and leave it at that. One brother went straight to Russia, another to Finland. But Kalev? Kalev was going to Estonia. We pan away from Kalev soaring through the sky in his eagle and cut to a young woman, a woman by the name of Lana. We find her just having stumbled across something in the road. There, before her, stood three items a hen, a grouse's egg, and a crow. With a grin, she scooped them up. Because, hey, free hen, egg, and crow. Taking them home, Lana made a nest for the hen, an egg, and a basket. And she lined it with wool and, being pet parent of the year, threw the young crow into a corner behind some boxes, which seems like a great way to have a lot of crow poop hidden in your house. Off she went to look after her feather babies, and found that they had grown. 
significantly because her feather babies were actual kids now. The hen had grown into a fair maiden by the name of Salme, and the egg had hatched into a second maiden named Linda, and it turned out that the crow had also transformed into a servant girl tasked to carry wood to the stove and who bent under the weight of water pails from the well. The girls ended up having many suitors, including the sun and moon themselves, whom they offended with rejections because while loving a heavenly body might sound great in a Madonna song, in practice, it was pretty much impossible. In the end, Salme ended up with the youth of the stars, while Linda found herself enamored with a giant who'd swooped in on an eagle. It was Caleb. And yeah, Caleb did actually try to win a daughter of man, and not just take one. So even though that's an exceedingly low bar, good for him. Caleb and Linda were lucky. They were in love from the moment they laid eyes on one another. And despite opposition from Linda's mother, by their sheer strength of will, they made it happen. And soon Caleb and Linda were riding off on a sleigh together. Now, Caleb loved his wife very much. But as time passed, he proved to be kind of a tough dad. Knowing his sons were strong enough, I mean, they were his sons, he told them early and often that they wouldn't be getting anything from him. If they wanted money and liked not starving, then they should take their swords and go out into the world to seek their own fortunes. He never heard back from any of them, so he assumed everything had gone fine. Then something happened that neither Caleb nor Linda ever expected. Caleb fell ill. How could this be? He was still in the prime of his life. He commissioned weapons, still had so much he wanted to do, but it wasn't to be. Linda, pregnant with their next child, cared for him as he sweated in bed, his coughs racking his gaunt, giant frame. One night, in a rare moment of lucidity, Caleb reached out and gripped Linda's arm. He had something to say, and he didn't have time. He foretold the greatness of their youngest son, the one who was still unborn. He would be named Kilevipoik, meaning the son of Kilev, because, as we talked about last time, baby names are difficult. And the boy, because it would be a boy, would be his heir. With that, he dropped into a fitful, restless sleep. No amount of magical beetles sent around the world by Linda, about which I'm not joking, could summon the aid to save Kilev and the great giant died before his time. Linda stayed by his body for an entire week and mourned for four months until she had something else to think about. Caleb Ipuig, the son of Caleb, was born. Caleb Ipuig was different. Kilevipoeg was special. Kilevipoeg was just a nightmare. I mean, seriously. At child number three, Linda thought she had this whole thing down. But Kilevipoeg had literally been screaming for a month straight. Now, things were escalating. And yeah, you can escalate from a month-long temper tantrum. Because you can shred your clothes, kick your bed apart, and then roll around on the floor at one month old threatening anyone who tries to help you with the same kicks that splintered your pack-and-play. Such was the infancy of Kelevipuig. And, 
Despite a few setbacks, he grew into a strong boy that karate chopped rocks into the shapes of ducks and drakes when he wasn't sending the blocks he played with hurling across the country. Kalevi Puig was the only one left at home, so he found himself sneering at the constant barrage of suitors for his mother's hand. She didn't want anyone but Caleb, and he was gone. And since the man she loved was no more, she didn't want anyone. The visiting suitors all came and went respectfully enough, mainly in light of the 12-year-old carving stones out back with just his bare hands, but one suitor did linger. An old Finnish sorcerer. He smirked. He was Caleb's cousin, he said, so they were practically family already. Linda froed her brow, and that was supposed to be a good pickup line? She told him what she told the others. Thanks for playing, but no. She didn't want to marry her late husband's cousin, a dangerous and, frankly, sleazy wizard. Now, if you would be so kind, she would rather he left. Caleb Ipueg walked up, his fists red after carving a mallard from a boulder in the front lawn, and he was ready to carve another one in his wizard great cousin's face. The wizard sneered. You know what? He didn't want to marry her anyway. A puff of smoke went up, and the wizard was seen running off in the distance. The wizard was not mad about being rejected by Linda. No, he was definitely not mad. You're mad. He was so not mad that he started spreading rumors about Linda to potential suitors, saying that her beauty had faded, that she had teeth made out of iron, and that her voice was so annoying that her words were red-hot pincers. This, of course, only helped Linda, because the people stupid enough to believe the rumors didn't bother to come around, readying her of the worst type of suitor. Still, Calavi Puig had a bad feeling about the wizard, and he kept an eye on the horizon. Weeks passed, and then months. It looked like he was indeed gone. It looked like Calavi Puig could relax. But Calavi Puig was wrong. It was on that day that Calavi Puig was out hunting with his brothers, and yes, the other sons of Caleb who had set out previously to make way for themselves. The story doesn't give much detail, but surprise, they're alive and well. Anyway, it was on this hunting day that Calavi Puig got a feeling. Something was wrong, and he knew it the moment he saw the horizon. We'll find out what Kelly Puig knows, but that will be right after this. There was no smoke. No smoke from the fire or kettle rose from the chimney. The door swung on its hinges. Kelly Puig rode for the house, but the hearth was cold. He steeled himself, following the trail down to the beach. There, he saw deep gashes in the sand and a lock of black hair, the bloody scalp still attached to it. It was the wizards. His mother had fought. She had fought, but she was still gone. Kelly Puig rode back to tell his brothers, but they wanted to put off until tomorrow what Kelly Puig wanted to rectify right now. The longer they waited, the further the wizard got away with their mother. Then, he glared at them. He knew why they didn't want to. They were cowards. They were scared of the wizard and his power. Well, Kelevi Puig wasn't scared. He wasn't scared of anything. His brothers objected, shouting and insisting that the trail had already gone cold. 
He had taken a boat at who knows where. But Kelly Poig shook his head. He didn't know, but he knew who would. Their dad. Well, long story short, he did not know. Kelly Poig went to his late father's grave. But Caleb said, essentially, I'm dead. There are all these rocks and dirt keeping me down here, and I'm not really up on what's going on above ground. Sorry, bud. So, Kelly Poig had no choice but to follow up on the only lead he had. The sorcerer had come from Finland. He had announced it on his first arrival way back when, and that's where Kelly Poig would look first. With no time to waste, he skipped the boat docks altogether and dove into the water. He would swim to Finland. There was always a chance that this single lead wouldn't pan out, but as Calavi Poig neared the shorelines, what did he find? The wizard's boat. It was tied to a rock. Kelly Puig's knuckles cracked as he made a fist. He was close. His mother would be safe. The wizard shook at the sight of Kelly Puig thundering from the beach. And the wizard's magic must have worked the same for him as it did for Sun Wukong, because the wizard gripped a handful of feathers that he kept at his bosom, as we all do, and flung them at Kelly Puig. They immediately turned into an army of thousands, some mounted on horseback, others charging him on foot. Kelly Poig glared, gripped a branch of a nearby tree, and tore it off, giving him a makeshift club. With narrowed eyes, he went to work. The story says that, after wading chest deep in blood, Kelly Poig finally kicked the door open of the wizard's home, the blood pouring in like the shining. From the back of the room, the wizard begged him, pleading. He said something about the thunder god taking her. But Kelly Poig already knew that the more the wizard spoke, the more dangerous he became. He raised his club and brought it down hard over the wizard's head. The sorcerer spoke no more. Kelly Poig wasted no time turning every door to splinters within the home, looking for his mother. He knew what was behind the last one before he kicked it. Nothing. She wasn't here. Kelly Poig buried his face in his hands. He knew what happened to his mother. She was desirable to this... this monster of a sorcerer. But he would never be able to control her. Kelly Poig knew his mother was dead. He collapsed onto the wizard's couch and wept for the woman that he would never see again. He awoke to a field full of feathers. The army was gone. He dragged the wizard out to the field. Food for the wolves or birds. Kelly Poig didn't care which. For two days, Kelly Poig mourned the obvious death of his mother. And on the third, he dragged himself down to the river, returned to the wizard's house, and burned it to the ground so no memory of the man remained. Then he began making his way not south toward home, but north. There was a famous smith in Finland. Kelly Poig decided that he'd been fighting with his fists for too long. He needed a sword, especially now that, 
with the queen gone, their land now sat without a ruler. Four days later, Calavi Puig arrived at the smithy. The man's sons were hard at work at the bellows and hammering out steel, but when Calavi Puig approached, they stopped and looked up. Calavi Puig shared that he was in need of a sword, and since I guess you don't become a legendary smith without the ability to spot once-in-a-generation heroes, the smith sent his sons to fetch his swords, as in all of them. The sons returned with, quote, swords by the armful. Kelevi Puig took the first sword he saw, bent it with his bare hands, and tossed it aside. Nope. Next. He grabbed another sword and swung it as hard as he could against the stone wall, where it shattered. Sidebar, that is a great way to test the quality of something you want to buy. Slam it repeatedly against the stone wall. From oranges to iPads, it's a tried and true method, so go ahead and do it. Around sword three or four, when the smithy saw Calavi Puig wasn't slowing down, he intervened. We get it, Calavi Puig. You're strong. He begged Calavi Puig to stop smashing his inventory. If he was looking for the premium, epic hero line of swords, why didn't he just ask? He had his three sons go to the cupboard to fetch the sword, and he waited. The three sons returned, jointly carrying a single sword and barely able to manage it themselves. They were straining under the weight. Calavi Puig picked it up, swung it through the air, and then brought it down on the anvil, slicing it in half and bringing no damage to the sword. The smith stood there wide-eyed. Cool! The only thing more expensive than an armful of swords smashed against a wall was the anvil on which the smith did all of his work. So, Calavi Puig would take it then? Please? Could they be done here? With a nod, Calavi Puig said he would take it no matter the cost. And the smith said that that was exactly what he wanted to hear. Let's party. Over dinner that night, which was on credit, by the way, because all of Calavi Puig's money was back in Estonia, Calavi Puig and the sons got to talking. Now, in my research for this podcast, I found that the only thing more dangerous than fighting an epic hero might be partying with them. And Calavi Puig was no exception. Taking offense at an offensive comment, one of the smith's sons rose and told him as much. Kalevi Puig also stood, laid a hand on his new super sword, and the smith's brother's lips were still moving as his head thudded down on the table, to the horror of the father, brothers, and mother. The smith stood and told his sons to run, go get the hammer so that they could crush every bone in this guy's body, except, in a single step, Kalevi Puig was at the door, blocking the brothers in. Horrified, the smith quickly held up both hands. Stop. Let the murderer go. As a father, he couldn't bear to lose all of his beloved sons, slash his retirement plan, all in one day. He looked squarely at Kelevi Puig. The gods would judge him for what he had done. As Kelevi Puig fled into the night, swinging the sword onto his back and preparing for the long swim back to Estonia, the smith uttered something. He yelled out, not to Kalevipoeg, but to the sword, telling the forged weapon to take revenge for the crime done against the one who had made it. Kalevipoeg was, of course, so drunk that he not only didn't remember murdering the smith's son, 
but I guess it also called, but I guess it also caused retrograde drinking amnesia, because he didn't remember getting the sword or even what he was doing in this part of Finland at all. Not feeling up for a swim that day, he opted to take a boat, and after resisting the temptations of three boatloads of sorceresses, which are mentioned but not elaborated on, Kalavipoeg arrived back home. His brothers immediately asked him what the deal was with all the blood on the sword and his shirt. Kalavipoeg looked. Huh, yeah, there was a lot of blood on him. He shrugged. Great battle? Knowing him, it was probably a great battle. That made total sense. And so he and his brothers settled in again at home, already counting their various journeys. Tragically, no one knew what happened to their mother, but they all agreed that life must continue on. It would be best for each brother to fend for himself, they decided. But first, they had to choose a king. And they did. In the time where the king was the one to defend and plow the land, they opted for their equivalent of rock, paper, scissors, better known as rock, rock, rock. The rules were simple. Throw your rock in a lake, and the furthest rock made you king. And by rocks, I mean boulders the size of Volkswagens. It should come as no surprise that Kelevipoeg threw his boulder over the lake altogether, thus winning the throne without contest. Their time together had been short, and as he and his brothers parted amicably, Kelevipoeg turned and immediately went to work plowing the fields. He was so tired that he slept at his plow, and that night, his sleep was restless, and he dreamed that wolves were surrounding him, attacking his horse. He snapped awake, and saw that his horse was dead. The dream had been maybe prophetic. Deciding to put his sword to work, he spent the next several days going through the woods, killing any wild animals he could find, broken up only by light naps. And when he finally circled back around home, he found a messenger waiting for him. The kingdom was at war. And yeah, as king... That was kind of his problem now. This story gets all sorts of crazy and fun. And we're going to finish it up next week. Because Calavi Puig will solve all wars everywhere. And spoiler alert... When you kill everything, they can't fight back. He'll make a new best friend, go to the edge of the world, get in a riddle contest with some giants, try to swim in lava, and go to the underworld. And that's just like half the episode. It's a big episode. I want to say thanks to For Love is the Lost Word, Polly2810, Quite Interested in Australia, Master Claire, Dorothy Cyborg, Aladdin Story, Riot Nurse, Wizards Nanton, Mahi Copper, Dibla Film, Danny B88, Pyro Joker 11, Story Fan 12345, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot 88, M Mulek, Juliet Dreams, Sadana, Who Invited the Vegan, and Captain Peanut Butter for the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for the reviews, and if you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is still a really great place. You can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. There is also a membership thing on the site for more than the price of 55 yards of 10-year-old 2009 Justin Bieber dental floss, you can get extra episodes, source-back ebooks, and ad-free versions of this show that 
are better for your wallet and your teeth than 10-year-old dental floss themed after a then 15-year-old pop star. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this time is a vicious piggyback ride from Japan. It's called the Obarion, and I've read that it, or something approximating it, means give me a piggyback ride, because that's what you'll hear when you're walking alone on the road at night, right before a child-sized monster hits your back, wraps its arms around your neck, bites your scalp, and kicks your sides like a horse. Now, this would be terrifying if you're walking through a canopied forest at night, and it will only get more terrifying as shouting where you should take it, the creature directs you to where it needs to go, and you're like a human taxi for a spoiled little mythological brat. If that doesn't sound so bad, well, I hope you've been working out, because the Obarion isn't just any child lurking in the forest at night. As you keep walking, you'll find that the Obarion keeps getting heavier and heavier, and that's not just the experience of having a kid on your back for a long hike. Well, not completely, because the Obarion puts on mass, quickly. It'll start off as like 25 pounds, but quickly work its way up to 50 or 100 pounds or more. Still looped around your neck and still not letting go. Now, you have two options at this point. Lay down and quit or keep going. The lay down and quit option is definitely the more appealing one because it's not like you asked for any of this. The being just surprised you and demanded a ride. It's not your fault that you got turned into a compulsory pro bono Uber. There are dangers of this route, though. Wounded pride being one, and wounded body being another. If you fall over prone, there's the risk that the creature could continue to add mass until it crushes you. And though that's a possibility, the creature usually gets bored and gives up before that happens. It'll keep biting your scalp and keep kicking, but when it sees that you're not going anywhere, it'll just hurl insults at you as it disappears into the forest, waiting for the next hapless traveler. You might be wondering... Why give this thing a piggyback ride when all the ungrateful little punk does is kick you and bite your scalp? Well, as it turns out, you're not doing it for free. If you push through, even with the creature weighing into the hundreds of pounds and blood starting to trickle down from your scalp, and you make it to the Obarion's drop-off point, you'll find that when you get there, the weight won't have disappeared, though the biting will have ceased. That's because... As payment for your services, the monster will have replaced itself with a bag of gold weighing as much as it did at the end. People have asked me to go deeper into the meaning behind some of these creatures and stories. And for this one, I was actually able to find a pretty interesting reading of the meaning behind the creature. Basically, it's children. It's saying that anyone who perseveres with children will prosper. That this selfish and demanding creature that latches onto you and becomes more work over time will eventually pay off. There's the kind of nice rating that raising children is rewarding in its own right, and that current difficulties are trivial when compared to actually raising a human being. But there's also the pragmatic, monetary reason. Remember the stories of Momotaro and the Inchai Samurai? Well, even if your kids don't go off to fight Oni and come back with wagons of gold, in ancient medieval Japan, they were still the people that were going to support you in your old age. So yeah, in any event, metaphorical or no, if you have a child, or if something jumps down onto your back demanding a piggyback ride in the middle of the dark forest at night, just see it through. Whether emotionally or monetarily, the benefits will likely outweigh the costs. 
That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes, and I want to say thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring us this week. Whatever struggles you're facing, from depression and anxiety to trauma and grief, BetterHelp can connect you with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, as well as chat and text with your therapist. And anything you share is completely confidential. Best of all, it is a truly affordable option. Myths and Legends listeners even get 10% off your first month with the discount code LEGENDS. So why not get started? Simply go to betterhelp.com legends and fill out a questionnaire to get matched with a counselor you'll love today. All right, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.